Welcome back to Off the Court. I'm your host, Jordan Litovsky. I'm joined by my co-host, Blake Kreiser. We're coming back to you guys after taking a few weeks off. We each got into the swing of things of getting back into school. We're back here to talk all things bubble and NBA playoffs. Blake, how's it going? It's going great, Latovsky. Heater up 3-1. Uh, getting back talking with you. School's doing pretty well. I'd like to apologize on the front end for some audio difficulty. We've been trying to work on it, but we're pretty new to this, so just hang with us. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that the Heater up 3-1. I know you've got a... a pretty strong opinion in favor of the heat and against the bucks. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay. So going into the series, I said the heat were a great overall matchup for the bucks because they had a, they had the defensive personnel to handle Giannis with bam, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, et cetera. And that when Giannis's efficiency goes down, when he doesn't play as well, the rest of his team suffers as well. So game one, was a perfect example of that and everything happened exactly how I said it was going to happen. I actually called the Toski to brag a little bit, but they guarded Giannis very well. They're clamping, they're clamping him every single time he was driving into the paint. Chris Middleton could not do anything in the fourth quarter. Like I said, he's not, he can't be your number two option. And Jimmy Butler went off in that game. I think he had around 40 points. So that's I got really excited after game one because everything everything happened exactly how I said was going to happen. Games two and three, they won, but it just wasn't the same because it wasn't the same. It wasn't the exact way I said it was going to happen. But they're up 3-1 right now. Lost today with Giannis out, which was kind of unfortunate. I just wanted them to close out the series. But I still got a lot of confidence in them. I think they're winning this in probably five, maybe six. We'll see what we'll see what happens with Giannis. But yeah, I'm feeling pretty good right now. What about you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I I will say you um and even going back to our last episode, you did say that the the Heat would would definitely challenge the Bucks and take it to six or seven. I, I really don't think anyone, even Heat fans themselves, would have thought that the Heat could have been up 3-0 after the first three games. And and weirdly enough, the game that the Bucks do win is when Giannis didn't even play or he was playing hurt and then he got even more hurt and, and whatever. I mean, their season's pretty much done, like good on them for, for fighting in, in game four here. But I, I agree with you. I think they're, they're pretty much done. Um, you know, I think one big problem other than one big problem for the Bucks, other than, you know, Giannis just not being able to do everything offensively because of the way that the Heat were guarding him, which is this box that they would set up defensively with all the guys they were throwing in the paint and throwing on him on the perimeter. Like you said, Chris Middleton just hasn't proved that he could be the guy to be, you know, the number two guy or even like a 1B guy if Giannis is off the court. Because for whatever reason, Coach Bud likes to not play Giannis as much as he should be playing. I mean... He's he's one of the best players in the NBA. He should be playing at least 40 minutes a game, if not more. And and Bud is out here playing him like 32, 30, 35 minutes a game. That just can't happen when your supporting cast is, is you know, guys like Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe and George Hill. No disrespect to those guys, but they're all, you know, they're veterans who are not these guys that are going to step up for you 
Um, I mean, I know you have some opinions on on Spolstra versus Bud. What do you think Bud did wrong, really, in this series? So I think I think a lot I, I think a lot of about Coach Bud has to do with strategic versus tactical um, versus his, versus his strategy and versus his tactics. I think that he is a great strategical coach. If you go back and look at Atlanta when he was there, they were I think they're pretty close to a 60 win team. They had four All Stars. They're always usually a good regular season team, and they usually put up pretty well, pretty good numbers. But Eric Spolstra in the playoffs can make in-game adjustments and adjustments between games that I think time over time after time again, we just have we just have seen Budenholzer not be able to make those adjustments and be outcoached in these important games. And I think when you have a coach who has championship pedigree like Eric Spolstra, excuse me, it gives you a huge advantage in these situations. Yeah, so going going a little further other than just the series, because like most people, including ourselves, agree, um, you know, it's 3-1 now. We're literally recording minutes after the Bucks just won game four. But I wanted to get into a little bit of one. I mean, do you think Budenholzer is, is back in Milwaukee next year? And I guess that's kind of tied into what do you think Giannis does or what happens to Giannis this offseason considering he's eligible for that super max um you know is he gonna play out the contract is he gonna sign the super max and have six years under contract with Milwaukee is he gonna do what Kawhi did um when he was in San Antonio and pretty much say like trade me or I'm gonna leave for free you know and then the the Bucks could be like, okay, we'll just trade you somewhere. It might not be where you ultimately want to go, and then he can play one year there. Or, you know, I think there's a few things that can yeah. happen. Giannis does this offseason. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna adjust the coach Bud part of that question first because I think there's a lot more to talk about in regards to Giannis. I don't really think firing necessarily firing the coach is the right answer. I think that. When Chris Middleton and just the team you have around you, if Chris Middleton's your second best player, no matter who the coach is, I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think they're going to win a champion. I don't think that, that he's going to win you a championship. Now, the Giannis thing, I think there's a high chance this could have been the last time Bucks fans saw Giannis play in Milwaukee, and the reason is, if like you said, the Kawhi thing, if Giannis goes to Milwaukee this offseason and says, "Yo, I'm going to walk unless," I'm going to walk anyway. Trade me now if you can get something for me. So I think two places to me come to mind, Miami and Golden State. I don't think he's. I don't think he could request a trade to Miami now just right after he lost to them. I think that would look bad on him. But Golden State is interesting because they have this number two overall pick. They have a max contract in Andrew Wiggins and or Draymond Green, and they got some assets. And I think – I just think that's an interesting situation. I don't really know what Giannis is going to do. He says all the time he wants to stay in Milwaukee, but every superstar says that in any city they're in. So I don't really know, but there's a high. I think there's a high chance that this was his last game in Milwaukee. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I I just you know, unfortunately, as a Spurs fan, I dealt with this with Kawhi a couple of years ago, and and 
you know, they're, they're two star players who I think you can compare in the aspect that they're guys who you don't really see in the media a lot or off the court in general. You know, you, you only talk about them in regards to what you see them do on the floor. So I, I think they're, I think that like Kawhi, Giannis is someone who's just concerned with, you know, winning championships and he hasn't been able to do that yet. And I think we can all agree he is definitely good enough to be the best player on a championship winning team. So he, you know, he does need a better supporting path. One thing about Milwaukee, like San Antonio with Kawhi, once once Duncan Ginobili and Parker retired or left, he's not going to be able to, you know, recruit um, a fellow star player to go to Milwaukee. No offense to Milwaukee, but I don't think many NBA star players want to really live in Milwaukee or play in Milwaukee. Um, so honestly, with Giannis and Chris Middleton, I don't think that they can get any kind of better, you know, second option than Chris Middleton right now in considering that they are in Milwaukee, right? So I think if Giannis wants to do anything more than finish first in the East and then get bounced every year in the playoffs, he's got to demand a trade or he's just got to play out the contract if if the Bucks don't, you know, trade him while they can. Um, he's just going to leave in free agency and, and he's still going to end up signing a Supermax with whoever he goes to, whether it's the Bucks or someone else, because he's that good. He's always going to be an all-star. He's always going to be, you know, a first team player. He's always going to be up there for defensive player of the year. He, um, you mentioned the Warriors. Um, I think one sleeper team, really, I'm, I'm just picking this out of thin air. I mean, I, I like, I like the idea of him going to Dallas not really sure what they'd have to give up for him again. Cause if a player demands a trade like that, you know, the team, the team kind of can't do a lot. Would they have to move Chris Dobbs? Would they be able to just trade all of these other random pieces? And like, you know, like that Paul George trade, that was like a ton of picks. Right. So right. we'll see what happens with that. I mean, the supporting cast though in Milwaukee is definitely just not good enough. And I just can't see them getting any better anytime soon because right now they've got a kind of subpar all-star in Chris Middleton and some overpaid veterans, and that's really it. Yeah, I agree. So let's let's get back to this Miami conversation, this Giannis Miami conversation later when we talk about the entire playoff picture. But for right now, let's go to break, and we'll see you guys in a little bit. Welcome back to Off the Court. We just took a quick break. But now, heading from east to west, let's talk about some Lakers-Rockets. I know we both have pretty strong opinions on this series. And uh, Latovsky, I'm going to let you start it off. Let's see what you got. Let's see what you have. Yeah, so obviously, you know, we need to preface with the fact that there's only been one game. And so it may seem like we're making quick judgments or something, but that's obviously the only thing we have to work off of or, you know, their first round series that wasn't against each other. They are playing game two in a few hours from now. So just speaking on game one, I mean, there are only six more games, obviously. So I think you do have to put a lot of importance on each one. Um, and and just in that first game, I, I, I took some notes during that game and – Something I really noticed was the number of threes that each team took. So 
dating back to the regular season post-trade deadline when the Rockets kind of switched their whole team around and, and went with their really small ball lineup, they've been shooting at least 45 threes a game, usually more. They've shot upwards of, of 60 in games, even in the in the bubble and in the playoffs. And I noticed that they only took 39, and on the opposite hand, the Lakers took 38. And, you know, when you look at that, it just like it was weird to me because the Rockets, everyone knows, are a better three point shooting team than the Lakers. So I'm just thinking, okay, you know, the Rockets were 14 of 39 from three, but usually they're going to shoot at least 10 more threes than that, if not 15 or 20 more. So I'm just thinking the Lakers, I just can't see them matching that three point shooting. And then, you know, on the opposite side of that, defensively, People are forgetting that, you know, you don't defend with the top of your head. So I know Anthony Davis is is taller than P.J. Tucker, but in reality, P.J. Tucker is almost as long as Anthony Davis and is definitely long enough to guard him. And we've all we've all seen that clip now of of LeBron taking it down into the paint and P.J. Tucker just just he just looks like a cinder block. I mean, he's just like, LeBron's not even moving a little bit. LeBron usually moves people like trucks down there, right? And PJ's just standing still, and I don't know. I mean, the three-point shooting and the matchup problems that Houston presents offensively and defensively, I think are going to be big issues moving forward for the Lakers. I mean, I, I can't see them, I can't see the Lakers achieving much with Alex Caruso and Rondo playing 30 minutes a game. What do you think? All right. So Latoski calls me out all the time, either on the podcast or when we're texting or on the phone for being a Lakers homer and being completely biased to the Lakers. So I'm going to start off my few minutes with a little clarity. I The Rockets present a lot of matchup problems to the Lakers because the Lakers clearly don't have any guards to guard Harden or Westbrook. I mean, that's just true. You you asked me yesterday when we were on the phone, who was, this is about different series, but who was guarding a specific wing player. And I had said to myself, I said, I forgot who I said first. And then I said Rondo. And I was like, Jesus Christ, if it's really Rondo who's guarding these guys. But then KCP, whatever. So really, they, they really don't have any, that, any wing defending. I, I acknowledge that. I acknowledge the fact that, P.J. Tucker is a very solid matchup on Anthony Davis. He plays him very well. I went back and looked through earlier games this year when the Lakers and Rockets played each other, and P.J. Tucker played pretty well against him. So I, you got to give him that. But there's a lot of things that also have to be con- taken consideration on the Lakers' side. Yeah, you, you said at the beginning of your little spiel that it's only game one, and that's the only thing we have to go on. But I, I have a few stats for you. Do you know, so LeBron, since 2011, which that's when I would say he was probably around the best, if not the one of the best players in the league. When he's lost in game one, his record since 2011 in series is 10-4. and four, And three of those were against the Warriors, and one of those was against the Spurs. Two of those Warriors teams being arguably two of the greatest teams of all time. So now I would like to address we were talking about the Rockets shooting, how they just shoot so much more threes than the Lakers. In the playoffs this year, the Rockets are shooting 36% from three on 49 attempts per game. 
And the Lakers are shooting 33% from three on 35 attempts a game. So if you adjust, if you adjust the math, the Lakers are shooting 17 or 17.2 for 49 from three in the playoffs. And the Rockets are 17.8 for 49 from three. So I think there's a common misconception there when people talk about, when people talking about, Oh, the Lakers just don't shoot nearly as many threes as the Rockets. Yeah. The Rockets shoot a lot, but it's, it's a lot closer than people, people think. Next. I want to go into the Houston Rockets supporting cast. Because they, they're—I don't think the Houston Rockets are a good closing team. I think they always choke. First of all, Eric Gordon, last game and close that series in his playoff career, shoots twenty-eight percent from three, on six point four threes a game. Jeff Green in the last game of a closeout series of a closeout game of his career, fourteen percent from three on four point two threes per game. The only two guys on the Rockets who are actually solid in big games is Robert Covington and P.J. Tucker. And Robert Covington's only played in two or three playoff series. Next, James Harden. James Harden is probably the best all-around offensive player in basketball. But in closeout games in his since 2015, which is, I think, when James Harden started really becoming a superstar, a great player, he's averaging 24.3 points. Six assists, six turnovers, shooting 33% from three and 38% from the field per game. So I really, it's only game one. I really have a lot of confidence in LeBron and the Lakers to come back. I think it's, I think it's probably a six game series, but uh, yeah. What do you have to say to that? I mean, I don't know. So it's definitely hard to argue with the fact that Russ and Harden have each individually and now together both choked in in um winner go home games right Right. um so that i can't argue with the one thing that i will say is that it there's a potential that it doesn't come down to that right it could go six and then it's really not a winner go home game so you know i'm not worrying about that right now like we've both said that it's only been one game and and obviously you know game two tonight is is gonna be you know, a better idea of, of what the rest of the series is going to be like, I think. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I have the same questions about the Lakers that I've had since before the playoffs that I do right now. And that's who's the third guy that steps up because I don't think they have this, you know, elite bench that you can say, Oh, all three of these guys are going to each pitch in 10. Right. And have like this, like, okay. Yeah, that's fair, I guess, whatever. So I look at that, and then I also look at what I've mentioned before, either on the pod before or to you off the podcast, is, and this isn't like a stat that I've looked into, but I just have this idea that like if LeBron and Anthony Davis are held to under 60 points combined, the Lakers won't win because I just don't know what other players can pitch in enough to score for, for the team to score upwards of 90 or a hundred points, you know, cause that's what most teams are scoring these days, especially the Rockets. They're a really high scoring team because of the fact that they live and die by the three and, and usually have pretty much shot over 30 or 32 or 33% from three in the bubble and in, in the first round of the playoffs and going back to that game one. So I, you know, I just wonder if, 
again, Anthony Davis and LeBron are held to under 60, which game one, they were held to 45 combined. I just can't see someone like Kuzma or Danny Green or Rajon Rondo, who I hope Rajon Rondo plays 30 minutes again, because that's just like handing the Rockets a win. He just shouldn't be on the Lakers. He shouldn't be playing. He shouldn't get minutes. What do you think? Okay, so first, I'm going to kind of go backwards. I completely agree with you with the Rondo thing. I don't know why he's on the Lakers. He doesn't really serve a purpose. I guess playoff Rondo is different, but no, I I agree with you about that. Now I'm going to touch on your kind of like AD and LeBron have to score 16 because they don't have a third guy that uh, that can score 25, whatever many points a night. Do you know? Did you know that the third leading scorer on the Rockets averages one more point a game than the third score and the third leading scorer on the Lakers? So, like these guys, you're you're saying that you have to LeBron, you have to rely on LeBron and AD to um to score all these points and do everything. When I think the Rockets rely a lot on what James Harden and Russell Westbrook do, and if they don't. If their production isn't that high, which I don't think it is in the playoffs between both of them, that the rest the rest of their team suffers. So I think I think the argument kind of goes both ways there. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, really, in all honesty, it's just a very interesting series um, yeah. in general because you know we're seeing really one team in the Lakers that's that's one of the bigger teams in the league definitely one of the bigger teams left in the playoffs right now and then the smallest team that's left in the Rockets and bigger picture other than just this series I just wonder what this means for these traditional back to the basket face up big men you know these these big bulky seven footers that can't really do much besides take up space in the paint block a few shots, get some rebounds, and, you know, dunk it on shorter defenders, right? I just wonder what that means for, for, for these big men who are not the athletic type of, like, bigs who can shoot and who can facilitate, right? I just wonder what that means means for the future of those teams. No, that's a, that's a, completely, that's a completely fair point. That's completely valid. Um, so we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right, we're back after another quick break. Um, so we're going to jump back over to the East to talk about that other matchup that we've got with, with Boston and Toronto. Um, and like that Milwaukee-Miami series, I don't think a lot of people – could have seen it coming that Boston was 0.5 seconds away from going up 3-0 on the defending champs. Um, You know, props to Kyle Lowry for making that inbounds pass over Taco Fall and and putting it right in OG Anunoby's hands for him to hit that three with 0.5 left. Um, And then, you know, Toronto came back and won game four. So it's, it's really now a best of three. Um, You know, who's going to win two of those three? That's that's yet to be seen. We've got game five tomorrow. Um, and one thing about Boston is they don't have interior defense. They haven't all year. That's that's kind of been their thing. I mean, they have Daniel Tice and Ennis Cantor, who hasn't even played anymore recently. 
They're now playing Robert Williams. They're very perimeter and wing dependent. Um, they put Marcus Smart on Pascal Siaka most of the game, which is just pretty weird in my opinion. I mean, I guess he did a pretty good job of defending him those first couple of games. Um, Blake, what are you thinking about that series moving forward with those three games? All right, so going into the series, I picked the Raptors to win in six. And after the first first two games and like 47 minutes of the third game, I was feeling pretty feeling pretty uh bad about my prediction but after after Toronto won game three and game four I do think there's something about the champion coming back to life Boston let a little life back in and now Siakam isn't Siakam probably isn't the best player on the floor he's not a superstar but he definitely he's definitely something the Celtics have to worry about but to be completely honest with you I have absolutely zero idea how these next two, three games are going to turn out because there's two great coaches, two – the Raptors are a great all-around team. The Celtics have a great pair of wing guys, plus Kemba, plus Marcus Smart, plus, I guess, Gordon Hayward's coming back. So, I really have absolutely no idea. It's going to be a, it's going to be a great finish, though. Yeah, so going off of that, honestly, uh, I I don't have an opinion on who I think wins the series itself. But being completely honest, um, no disrespect to those teams, I don't think either of them can win the finals. So good on them for making it as far as they have, or good on them if they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals, especially Toronto after having lost Kawhi. Um, You know, Boston may get Gordon Hayward back, so that could be something a little different. But I I do ultimately think that the West still wins the finals, especially now that Milwaukee has gone down. I know Miami and Boston and Toronto can all still be seen as contenders, obviously. But I do just ultimately think that both the Lakers or the Clippers would, would beat any of those teams in the finals. But just diving a little deeper into that Boston, um, into that Boston Toronto series, like you said, it's it's coming down to like that playoff savvy that Toronto has. And then, you know, like Nick Nurse has obviously been there before. Brad Stevens really hasn't. Both teams don't have a bench at all. And they're each playing starters upwards of 40 minutes every game. Um, I still think Siakam has to be the X factor. You know, we know how good Tatum is, right? But for Toronto to really win the series, they need Siakam to step up. Um, and if Boston wants to win, they need more than Tatum. They have a lot of guys that can do it, but a lot of them have just not been like Kemba Walker scored 15 points yesterday. You know, he's, he's getting paid a lot of money and 15 points just doesn't really cut it. And I know he's got some decent defenders on him in, in Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet or Norman Powell, but I just don't think that's an excuse for him to just, you know, be putting up only 15 points, um, do you have anything else on that series? Um. Yeah. No. I agree. I agree with a lot of. I agree with what a lot of. A lot of. I agree with a lot of what you said. One thing I kind of was thinking about, though, while we have a few more minutes, is who do you think? I. I mean, we both think the Heat are going to end up beating the Bucks in this series. So, who do you think? Who do you think's? Who do you think's a better? Who do you think's a worse matchup for the Heat? The Celtics or the Raptors? Who are the Heat more scared to play, the Celtics or the Raptors? 
I I think that the Heat should be more scared to play Boston because of the 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 different number of guys that Boston has on the perimeter, both offensively and defensively, that can present problems for for Jimmy Butler primarily, but also for those shooters that Miami has. I mean, if a team found a way to close off those shooters, then you're really just then then you have this two man game between Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. But then I, I told you off the record earlier in the week. Bam would be the X factor in my opinion in that series because I would assume that he would be able to do a lot of good stuff offensively with Daniel Tice guarding him most of the time and even defensively with all those guys attacking the basket I think he could present some problems but on the opposite side Boston does have a lot of decent players that they can throw on to Jimmy Butler like Brown and and Smart and even Tatum some so and and Hayward could come back for that potential series so like you said yeah that Boston Toronto series it's now a best of three it'll be really interesting what happens yeah so I'm gonna address what you said about the guys about Boston being able to throw guys on Jimmy Butler Jimmy Butler did not play well in Game Two of the series and honestly did not play well in the fourth quarter of the game today. And they won game two, and they almost won game four today. So I think Miami, one of the strengths that Miami has, and I've said for a while, is they can they can beat you in a lot of ways. One night it can be Jimmy Dragic or Bam. The other night it could be Crowder or Hero, guys hitting big shots. I think they have a lot of different ways that can beat you, a lot of different guys that can beat you. And I think that causes a lot of problems for both of them. So I'm picking them, I'm picking them to win the East. Now do I think they're going to win the championship? Probably not because the Lakers, the Clippers, the Rockets, whoever are just, I think are all three just better matchups, but I'm confident in the Heat to win the East. Yeah, so, um, you know, there's not, I wanted to go into that last uh, semi that we have in the West. There's really not much to talk about, I don't think. No, yeah. I know that it's 1-1 right now. You know, Denver had a good game yesterday, but I was, you know, they shot 48%. I I can't say I think that that's going to happen ever again in the series. Jokic had 24 in the first half. Also, again, not sure he does that again in the first series. Um, So I'm still riding with the Clippers. I still think the Clippers pretty easily win that series. Um, You know, Paul George has been underwhelming, definitely, especially in the first round. Um, But I just think that the Nuggets don't present a real threat to the Clippers, especially defensively. I mean, the the Nuggets have really bad defenders. I mean, Jokic can't do anything defensively. Murray's not very good defensively. Michael Porter Jr., for as big as he is, can't do anything on defense. Gary saved him in the first round, which is a sentence I never thought that I would have to say. Um, but anyways, I don't know. I mean, in the future, the Nuggets are a really good team, especially if Porter Jr. can continue to develop. But right now, I just think that the Clippers do advance to that Western Conference final. What do you think? No, I 100% agree with you. I think, I thought going into the series, it's probably going to be a five-game series. I just think the Clippers have, I think the Clippers have a better overall team. And me personally, I don't want the best player on my team to be a center. I don't think you can really win that way. So I, th- I think the Clippers take care of this series. I'm not too concerned about that. The thing, though, 
I would be concerned about if I was a Clippers fan or supporter is the fact that the Clippers built this team of guys to get to be able to guard on the perimeter and the entire playoffs, their perimeter defense has not been great. Like they let Luke, I mean, Luke is a special player, but they let Lucas saw some, they let Jamal, like Jamal Murray saw some, they're letting these wing guys, they let Devin Booker saw some in the bubble. They let LeBron, I got the end of the game, the first game of the bubble Lakers versus Clippers. LeBron had his way in the fourth quarter. Like, I'd be pretty concerned about the Clippers perimeter defense right now if I were a Clippers fan. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Honestly, I just – this is just how much I trust Kawhi and this is how much I I trust the the role players that they have. Even if they drop a game or two to uh, the Nuggets, I think that, you know, they're still going to win the series. But we'll be right back um, with – the very end of our podcast. Welcome back to Off the Court. This is Blake Kreiser with my friend Jordan Latoski. So before we finish our show, we wanted to talk a little bit about the overall playoff picture and a little bit about the teams who have been eliminated from the playoffs and what their plans are for the offseason. So, Latovsky, do you want to talk about the overall playoff picture for, for a little bit? Yeah, so going back to, you know, starting with, with the first round, um, you know, basically everything that we thought would happen did happen. Um, I don't think anyone that should have won lost in that first round, but then everything basically flipped in the second round. You know, the Bucks are down three one. The Heat, the 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 Lakers are down one zero. The Clippers and the Nuggets are tied at one. Boston and Toronto were tied at two after Boston was up two zero. So there's a lot of weird stuff happening. Um, I am still going to stick with the Lakers and the Clippers probably going to make it out of the West, but I've really got this, this um, idea that Houston's going to make it. You know what? Screw it. On the record right here, Houston and the Clippers out of the West and Miami and Toronto out of the East. Um, do you think differently for the Eastern, for the, for the conference finals? Um, well, obviously, I think the Lakers are going to make it in over the Rockets. But my, I have had a big opinion change, Jordan Latovsky. I have had a big opinion change. Going into the season, I thought that the worst matchup for the Lakers was the Clippers because of all the different guys that they can throw on LeBron. But I'm, re- I'm revising my statement. I think the Rockets are a lot worse matchup for the Lakers. And if the Lakers are able to win this series, which I think they will, I think I think that's the the biggest obstacle they're gonna face because of the of Houston's ability to be able to spread the floor and shoot threes and LA not being able to have the not LA not being able to use the strength of their team, which is size. But I, I think it's gonna be LA. I think it's gonna be the Lakers and the Clippers. I think it's probably I think it's gonna be the Heat. Mm, I really don't say the I really don't want to say the Raptors or the Celtics because I really don't know. But I'm a, I'm a 
go back on what I said. I think the Celtics are gonna beat the Raptors. I got I got uh I got faith in my three one four boy Jason Tatum gonna sauce it up. But the Heat are gonna end up beating them in the Eastern Conference Finals anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But so I'm gonna say Lakers, I'm gonna end up saying Lakers Heat. In the finals, and we take from the Lakers, LeBron winning his chip, AD going to dominate. It's going to be a fun time in Lakers land. Yeah, um, I I think it'll probably be – I mean, I think it's going to be the Clippers out of the West, and I think it – I don't even know in the East. Like, you know it's uh, the Heat, Latoski. You know it's the Heat. Like I guess, I mean, sure. Let's let's say Clippers Heat. That just sounds like something you'd see on two K. It's done. Yeah. Sorry. That just doesn't even seem real. I guess I don't know. It just seems like a weird matchup, but it would still be fun. I mean, I don't know. It seems like it seems like the matchup that everybody wanted in two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve when you had LeBron Wade and Bosch versus Chris Paul. I don't even know if the Clippers big three were together at this point. I'm pretty sure they were, but when you had Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan, I think that that's what it really, that's what it reminds me of when everyone was thinking that was going to happen. But we riding with the heat in the East. I think they solid. You've been trashing the heat for weeks. Uh, So I'm excited. I'm excited for them to prove you wrong. I'm excited. Jimmy Butler showing up. He's that dude. Uh, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, so now that all of our listeners should probably have a good idea of where we each stand on these remaining playoff teams, and obviously there's a lot of games still left to be played, I wanted to go into a little bit on, one, the few teams that we saw get eliminated in the first round or that left the bubble, and also going into a little bit, specifically in the West, about what the playoff picture could look like. You know, obviously it's early, but just I was just thinking about this the other day. So in my opinion, there are six teams that I have locked to make the playoffs in the West for next year. That's each LA team, that's Houston, that's Golden State, that's Denver, and Dallas, right? So, so that's six in my opinion. And then... You obviously have the teams who made it this year in OKC, in Utah, in Memphis, in Portland. We've also got, you know, Minnesota's got Cat and D'Lo and uh, the number one pick. I just try thinking like, damn, you know, who who's going to make it out of the West? It's just going to be such a bloodbath. You're going to see teams with, with close to 40 wins not making the playoffs when when that usually does happen. So I wanted to ask you, which teams that did make the playoffs this year do you think will not make the playoffs next year in the West? Okay, so first, I think Oklahoma, first I think Oklahoma City, they had a great run this year. Billy Donovan did a great job with them. Chris Paul, SGA, Dennis Schroeder were a three-headed monster. They were great at closing games, but first – I don't think Chris Paul is going to end up in OKC next year. So I think next year's kind of be a setback year. Let SGA develop a little bit, get some young guys in there, use those draft picks. Um, Utah is interesting just because Donovan Mitchell is a beast and Gobert, Gobert's two time defensive player of the year. But they, I mean, them missing Bogdanovich this year really hurt. But I think they could, I think it's probably 50 50 for them next year. 
Portland, I think Portland's got a great shot at making it. Last year, they were in the Western Conference Finals. When Lillard and Nurkic are on the floor together, they have championship point differential. And I think they're a really solid team. I like I like what I I like what I've seen from them. Um, Phoenix is interesting just because they went eight and zero in the bubble, and everyone's riding high on them. I think they probably need to make another trade or two, or another move at least to get somewhere to move up into the move up into the playoffs. The Timberwolves, like if the Timberwolves can play any defense next year, they'll be good. They'll put up a lot of points. But I think the West is really a crapshoot. I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now. There's probably like a solid 10 or 11 teams next year that can make the playoffs, especially with New Orleans coming back. Hopefully Zion's fully healthy. Um, they're going to get a new coach, which we, you could talk about if you have any ideas of who that's going to be. But they're going to be interesting as well. So I think it's a crapshoot, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would, I would even say that I can't really think of more than one or two teams that are complete. Like, oh, this team has no shot. I, I, I think, think there's Sac- zero. Sacramento's the worst team in the West next year, I think. Yeah, and they're not even that bad. Right. I mean, so I don't know what happens there. Yeah, you're right, Minnesota. I, I really don't like Ryan Saunders, their coach. I really don't like the the personnel that they have on their roster. So I think they are not going to make the playoffs, but they could, you know, be in that 10th or 11th spot, which may sound bad. But if you're separated by two games from 11 to seven, for example, you know, that's on paper, not that terrible. Um, For a few of those teams, though, that you that you brought up, like Utah, I wonder, could they potentially do something? where they could maybe move Gobert. I know they have a lot of money tied up, more than people realize. Conley gets paid way too much. I believe Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are both super max eligible this offseason or just eligible for their first extension this offseason, which either way, even if it's not super max, is bound to be a lot of money. They pay Bogdanovich like $20 million a year. I just wonder if they're like, okay, you know, we may not be as good as, you know, the LA teams or Golden State or Houston or something or, or, or Dallas, who's definitely on the rise, who I think is the third best team in the West next year. Um, Ooh, or hot take, Latosky. Third, third or fourth, yeah. I definitely think they're going to have home court advantage. I'll say that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, could Portland potentially explore the possibility of, of moving McCollum? I know they, like Utah, are also very tied up with cap. Um, Dame obviously gets paid a lot as he should CJ. I mean, they've got like Hassan Whiteside and Nurkic. Oh That's so laughable. Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if these teams that lost in the first round that have lost in the first round for a couple of years now, or that haven't made it as far as they've wanted to, could any of them make coaching changes? Could any of them trade complimentary star players for packages in return? Um, Going on to Phoenix that you brought up, I, I I actually like Phoenix more than I thought I was going to. I mean, they've got another early pick. They've done well recently with their picks. Um, their GM, James Jones, has done well with that. I mean, so I, I don't really know who's – like you said, I don't know. I think I have six teams, those six that I mentioned earlier, and the two LA teams, Houston, Dallas – you know, Golden State. Um, 
I don't know what OKC does. They have a ton of picks. They have a bunch of young players, and they have $40 million a year. Chris Paul, what do they do with that? You know, um, and then moving into the East really quickly, Philly, I've heard. I don't think it's been made official yet. I, I've just heard that they're getting ready to name Tyron Lue their head coach, which I don't really know if, if that's going to be good or bad. If you've got the same roster, I can't imagine anyone does any better than what Brett Brown did, which was make the playoffs and win. And, you know, like, I, I don't know what. I mean, can Ty Lue win two games in the first round? Cool. But I'm not sure that really does anything we've talked before about what happens with Embiid or Simmons. Does one get moved? Do both get moved? Do they both stay? Um, you know, a lot of questions there. There's still a team that's going to make it in the East in the, for the playoffs because the East is pretty dreadful. Um, but going into another coaching hire, Steve Nash in Brooklyn out of com- completely out of nowhere. I agree. Yeah. A woge bomb, literally. Um, I think he's either going to be, the next Steve Kerr, which was having had not coached, but been like an NBA, like savant type of guy. Yeah. Not, not, not that he isn't a legend, but he's not like a goat per se. Right. So he, he was a very good player. He didn't win a player. He's one of the best players ever to have not won a ring. Um, but I don't know how he does as a coach. You know, most good coaches are point guards. I wonder, is he going to be the Steve Kerr type? Or is he going to be, you know, like this coach who treads around the six or seven seed and 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 does a lot worse than than they wanted? Um, he got he got the job over some some in house candidates, especially Jock Vaughn, who I mean, they had a pretty terrible team and still made it into the playoffs and still won a game in the first round. Like, we'll see what happens with that. Um, do you have anything to add on those teams? So the only thing I'll say about the Nets is in the NBA coaching is all about managing egos. And yeah, Jock Vaughn did a great job with a bad roster in the bubble, but ultimately I don't really think uh, KD and Kyrie, I think they want a guy that they trust and they know that can lead them to a win a championship. And I think as long as they think Steve Nash is the guy, hopefully it's successful. All right. Well, this is this concludes our show. This was our second podcast. We wanted to thank everyone for listening and we'll see you guys next week.